here we are, guys, back at it for another episode of the Brew Chat Podcast. And you guessed it, I'm your host, Tanner, as usual. And uh, things are looking a little different here today. We're doing something a little different. We're back here for episode 190, which I've been kind of holding off, kind of scheduled things proper so we could send off and start our last leg of our uh, 100s here the right way, reviewing Avengers Endgame. And I uh, decided I would try something a little bit different. I'm, I'm trying this solo tonight. That movie was three hours and two minutes long, and uh, I'm going to try to knock it into an hour here, and I felt like having extra guests may just lengthen that up, and we would be here uh, maybe until the next Avengers movie comes out. So in an effort to keep it a little succinct, a little eloquent, doing it by myself this episode, and it's also, I was, uh, after 189 episodes, quite frankly, I was a little curious if I could handle this beast on my own. So welcome to the journey. We're going to see how that goes. And... Uh, so before I get into that, I've got a couple beers as usual. We'll get to those. We've got a uh, see, we've got a uh, untitled art project, and then Anderson Valley, who had that phenomenal winter. Uh, it was a winter warmer, I believe they had back around December that I was such a big fan of. So we've got those. We'll go through those. We're going to talk all about Avengers Endgame and just like it says up here, spoilers, people. This is a spoiler review. Spoilers. 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 You know those things that you put on the back of your car to make you go faster? Yeah, not those. The other kind where it spoils movies. Going to be all in this episode. So if you've not seen Avengers Endgame, why are you still listening to this? Don't listen to this anymore. By the time I play the opener, you'd better be gone if you've not watched Avengers Endgame because I'm going to spoil the shit out of it for you. Yeah, true story. That's one. That's what's going to happen. That's actually why I'm not live streaming that's why I'm not live streaming this episode, actually, is uh, I'm recording. I'm going to put it up after the fact just because I don't want people to be accidentally scrolling their Facebook feeds or something and see uh, this asshole up there spoiling Avengers Endgame for him. So if you've not seen the movie, one last chance. Spoiler. This will have spoilers. Turn this off. Spoilers. Okay. Now that that's said and done, uh, let's see. Let's get some, some brass tacks before we hit the ignition switch here. Get on down to Riverside Wine Spirits. You know it. You know the place. Right there on Manufacturers Road is the best place in town to get your libations, your spirits, and everything you need to have a good time. Memorial Day is coming up right there at the end of May. Mother's Day is coming up here in about two weeks. Go get your mom something nice. Get, get her some nice booze. If your mom likes to drink, there's no better place than Riverside Wine Spirits. They've got all the booze that she could use, but they've also got chocolates. They've got little flower arrangements. They've got cheeses. They've got butters. All sorts of nifty gifties for your mommies. So get on down there, check it out. And then as usual, every Friday and Saturday, every Friday they've got their growler promo, four to six. And I think this Friday, Bells is going to be down there slinging some stuff. Not sure what they'll be slinging. Uh, good, bad, or be too hard at or Oberon, if not both. Uh, I'm, I'm actually giving them a hard time still, but they've got a new sour, a tart, fruity thing that's out there uh, called like the Flamingo or something right now. It's actually pretty damn good. But uh, so I don't mean to give you a hard time, Bells. You've stepped up your game a little bit and your game was always good. I just want more variety in your game. But uh, yeah, so get on down the Riverside Wine Spirit every Friday and Saturday, four to six for their growler and wine promos. And then go find us. Go check us out on the Hopped Up Network at thehoppedupnetwork.com. And then you can also find us at brewchat.com or anywhere podcasts are sold, people. That's, uh, that includes iTunes, Apple's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, we got it, people. We have littered the internet with ourselves. We've done it. So go find us. Like, link, subscribe. And for real, make sure you subscribe. Because uh, whether that's on YouTube, Facebook, 
get on our audio feeds because those are tend to have a little bit more content. And, you know, if you don't want to miss us, go check us out. Subscribe to that shit like I just told you to do. And that way you won't miss us. So I'm going to get to pouring some beers here and uh, I'm going to hit this ignition switch and we can get into it. Check in there to see uh, when my cue to come in was. So believe it or not, we actually do have this thing kind of down pat most of the time. But like I said, it's kind of strange because I'm normally not sitting here in the studio talking to myself. I'm usually talking to Jared. I'm talking to our guests, whoever. But uh, like I said, I decided to try something a little different for this episode. I thought, you know, this movie is a whopper. There's a lot of content, a lot of stuff to break down about it, a lot of shit to unpack about it. And... Uh, I'm kind of a long-winded son of a bitch anyway, so I thought I would just kind of go through this by myself. And, I, you know, I've got pages upon pages here in notes. And I thought I'd go with that by myself. But before we do that, let's get into these beers a little bit. So, uh, let's see. This first one I got here, this is the Anderson Valley Blood Orange Goza Orange Ale. That's a mouthful. And they've got a, uh, a bear with antlers on it for some unknown reason, but... Uh, Ball horning since 1987. I guess I've been ball horning since 1987. That's the year I was born. Anderson Valley Brewing Company. And uh, no flavor text. Let's see. This is the one. I've bought several of them since we had it on the show back in December. But they had that delicious. I think it was a winter warmer. It was like the winter solstice ale or something like that that they had. But uh, let's get into this here. It's got that same sweetness that that winter solstice ale had. It had sort of a curvy, mouthy sweetness on the back end, and this has that exact same quality about it. It's clearly a much different beer than a winter solstice ale, but I mean, it's still an ale, so it's not that far off. Blood Orange Goza. It's not as salty as I would typically expect from a Goza. It's not as light as I would typically expect from a Goza. Yeah, it's almost got a, a champagne-y sort of effervescence to it, like a champagne-y bubbliness, and then it's got that sweetness that was in there in that winter solstice. Um, let's, let's see here. So I guess I should check the time, too, to make sure I'm hitting a time quota here. What time is it? All right, I got it. Honestly, there's not a whole lot going on here. Um, I don't really get an orange. See, blood orange. It does kind of have some on the nose there. Kind of smells like those, uh, the cutie pie, little, tiny little cutie oranges. Which those may be blood oranges. I don't actually know. Yeah, not a whole lot going on. It's not a bad beer, but I kind of expected with a mouthful of a title like blood orange goes a orange ale. I, A, expect a little bit more orange, but it also doesn't really taste like a goes at all. It's... You know, the most goza thing about it is just mainly that champagne sort of champagneiness to it. Is it? It's got a little champagneiness to it, like it's a little, little more carbonated than a typical ale would be. 
There's no saltiness. There's very little orange. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a, an average, just ale. It would, I would drink this by the pool though. This would be a good pool beer, but even then it may be a little mouthy. It's a little, it's a little thick for a pool beer. This was a light version of this. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'll tell you the price of these down at Riverside. Oh, there they are. Two nineteen. Two nineteen a can down at Riverside. So let's see. I'm gonna go ahead and move on to our next one here. This is the untitled art. You know, we've we've been a fan of them. Wisconsin. Wisconsin brewed and canned. And this is the Spritzer Vice. So I'm assuming it's a Berliner style ale. It's probably gonna be a little champagne as well. Similar beers. I grabbed these because uh I don't know. We're talking about Infinity War. They looked fun. I was I was going to try to actually get some of the beer that Thor was drinking in the movie, which was Creature Comforts Athena, but I didn't get a chance to get down to Beverage World. We don't have the, the Creature Comforts here in Tennessee yet. We did, but not anymore. Um, let's get into this. Oh, it's a little funky. It's a little bit funky. Little funky. Thankfully, it does not taste the way it smells. It's a little footy on the nose. Like I said, like a thought, uh, it's a little champagne-y. It's real light. I, I don't like this smell, though, at all. I do not like this smell. I'm trying to pinpoint, though. It almost smells like uh, if you let, like, green beans sit in a pot in your fridge for a little too long. That sort of smell is what I'm getting off of it, like a footy version of that. With, like, a little bit of rubber on there. We know what that can be. Maybe a little chlorine in there, which any longtime viewers, if you're uh, new viewers, first of all, welcome. But any longtime viewers know that I'm super susceptible to chlorophenols in my beer. Comes off like a rubbery sort of smell or taste. And uh, I'm getting it in this. Not much, not much. But I get that green bean, that old green bean smell. It's a little carved up, which gives that champagneiness. I get some rubberiness. It's not the typical rubbery, like, tire smell, though. It's more like a... It's kind of more like a garden hose smell, which is a little different than that tire smell, but rubber, nonetheless. Let's see, when were these... Uh, there, ne there needs to be some sort of consistency in, like, where you put your dates on a can, how you put your dates. I don't even know what these numbers are. It's not a date. Or even if you have to have a date, I wish it would all be consistent. That would be real, real handy. I don't know. I'll, I'll sip on these throughout the show. I've got a third that I may crack into because I'm, uh, I'm not digging these too much. I'll be honest. It's not really, uh, it's not really what I was craving today. Not really what I was craving. But I may actually save my other one for next week. Uh, when we've got a guest and it's not just me drinking, because I don't need to be drinking these and a bomber to myself while I'm trying to talk about Avengers here, because we've got brass tacks to get to. Need to put this pin down or I will click it the entire time. So, let's get into Avengers a little bit right here. Let's do that. So, uh, like I said, before we get into this, spoilers, people. Spoilers. They're a real thing and they're about to be happening here in uh, about T minus 10 seconds. So, turn it off right now. This is your absolute last warning. Turn this off if you've not seen Avengers Endgame. Just turn it off, go see it, come back, and uh, pick up right here about 10, 12 minutes in, whatever we're at now. 
But, uh, so yeah, this movie, people, this movie, this is something, it's like, first of all, I don't want to go understated of how important of an endeavor this was, is, you know, we've got the, uh, the seven wonders of the world, the seven wonders of the ancient world, the seven wonders of the modern world. There, if there were to be a seven wonders of the media world or seven wonders of the entertainment world, what have you, this would need to be on there. Just, you know, I've, I've learned about film and been a fan of film, studied film for years. And I've seen every one of these Avengers and Marvel movies in theaters. And first of all, it's amazing what they have been able to accomplish with, first of all, just how Hollywood, how Hollywood exists and how it functions. It's damn near anything to get something decent made in there. And um, it just, uh, it blows my mind a little bit that they were able to do this. I mean, you see Warner Brothers, you see all of these other companies trying to mimic what Marvel has done and with their entire connected universe, all that sort of thing. They've not been able to do it. And like, first of all, that, that feat in and of itself is pretty amazing. But secondly is even the weakest link in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which some would say uh, Iron Man 3, which I would say that is a weak link. It's not the weakest, but it is a weak link. Iron Man 3, Thor 2, um, I don't know, that's about the two for me that are the weakest links in the Marvel Cinematic Universe chain. But even those, they're not bad movies. I still really enjoyed them. I really like Iron Man 3. It's not necessarily what I would want from an Iron Man movie per se, but... I like Iron Man 3 just fine. It's a fine movie. And Thor 2, it was a little bland. There wasn't a whole lot that happened that really mattered other than introducing the uh, the Infinity Stone in there. The well, Which one was that? That was the... It wasn't the space because that was the Tesseract. The Reality Stone, that's what it was. That crazy Reality Stone was introduced in Thor 2. So, first of all, the movie... Just aside from just being a feat of feats, was amazing. It sits at three hours and two minutes. It's got a lot of content in there. And uh, we were actually going to record, Jared and I were actually going to record this podcast right after we saw the movie. But after we saw it, there was just, it was so dense that we needed time to process. Like, you know, that little spinning wheel you get on your Mac when it's thinking a little too hard, that little beach ball? Or if you're on Windows, you get the, uh, I guess now it's the little like, portal ring thing um yeah my little beach ball was spinning for a good two days after this movie uh we if we had we could not have come and done a review show i needed you know i'm recording this on tuesday as usual and i don't know i can't speak for jared but i needed about four days to process this movie needed about four days to go see it again and uh, needed to gather my thoughts. Like, I've got pages upon pages here of some thoughts on some things. Because, like I said, it's dense. There is a lot going on in this movie. And uh, so, let's get into it here. So, like, the movie opens up. It opens up, and uh, it, it says that they say Tony Stark's trapped on the ship with Nebula from the end of Infinity War. And it says they had been on there for, like, 21 days, 25 days, something like that. Roughly 20 to 25 days. And then they get rescued. You know, Tony Stark lies down. He leaves a message from Pepper or for Pepper. And uh, he's basically resigned to go to sleep and not wake up because they're running out of oxygen. And then right in the nick of time as he's dozing off, Captain Marvel comes in to save the day, takes him back to the earth. And 
you know, we see uh, we see Natasha, Black Widow. Uh, we see Captain America, Rhodey, a couple people. And apparently Natasha is kind of the director of the Avengers now. She's just kind of stepped into that role since nobody else was there to do that. She stepped up and started running the Avengers. And it seems that they've been running around doing some sort of basically uh, trying to put the world back together after the snap. After Thanos snapped half of all existence in the universe away, it seems that they have been going around and even somewhat in space because Captain Marvel is phoning in from space and later on Nebula and Rocket arrive on a spaceship. So it's implied that they've been sort of just avenging in space. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, I skipped ahead a little bit there, but let's, uh, let's back up just a smidge. So Tony and Nebula get back to earth and First of all, Tony just looks emaciated, utterly emaciated. And this is, again, like I said, 20, 25 days after Infinity War. They get back to Earth. Everything's in disarray. And Captain Marvel's with them. You know, she's bringing them back. And she's basically saying, like, well, why don't we go get Thanos? Let's go do this. Oh, why didn't we do that before? Oh, you didn't have me. Yeah, we get it. Captain Marvel, you're strong. Tony flips out on Steve, you know, and that part was honestly pretty heartbreaking for me just because Tony looks like shit in this scene. I don't know if it was, I guess it was a combo of makeup and CGI effects, but he looks gaunt. He looks hungry and he's basically upset at Steve. He's like, no, I needed you past tense and you weren't there. It was that scene. I mean, kudos to Robert Downey on that. The acting in that scene was stellar. So they all rally together. Um, Tony Stark stays behind because he's on some IVs and sedatives and just needs to rest. So Thor, Captain Marvel, Rhodey, Nat, Captain America, the gang is together. They, Nebula knows where Thanos is at. They've, they've traced an energy signature, and they go to Titan II to find Thanos and determine it's just him. He doesn't have any armies with him. You know, he's got the gauntlet still, but he doesn't have any armies or any of that. It's just him. So they come in. Poor dude is just making breakfast. And I, I think something we can take from both these movies together is from Thanos' point of view, it's just the Avengers and him. Like, he basically looks at the Avengers just like, you motherfuckers. Every time. Just you meddling kids. You know, that sort of thing. And so poor dude is just trying to make some soup or sandwich, whatever he's doing. They storm in, ruin his meal. Thor immediately comes in, cuts his hand clean off right above the gauntlet. Done. Done. And uh, so I'm going to get some more of this beer here. So he comes in, cuts his hand off immediately, and they roll the gauntlet over, and it's revealed that the stones are gone. The last energy surge that they detected from the stones was Thanos actually destroying the stones. So then they're like, well, we're shit out of luck, blah, blah, blah. Thor cuts, uh, cuts Thanos' head off. He's just like, he's done with it. He already feels like a failure. Cuts his head clean off. And then it's just kind of left like, well, shit, what are we going to do? We did end up killing Thanos, but he destroyed the stones, so we can't get them to undo the snap. So they go back, and then uh, you see a a thing. uh, I guess words come up on the screen. That's the word for words. That's it. And uh, it says five years. Five years has passed. So we jump five years. We all sort of knew that... You know, if you follow any of this stuff, we sort of knew that there would be some sort of time jump within the movie. Because just looking at the previews, you could see 
you know, Natasha's hair go from the white that was in Infinity War to like a longer, her natural red color. So we knew there was going to be a time jump of some sort. And uh, so jump ahead five years. It see, you know, back to what I was saying before, it seems that Rocket and Nebula, Nat's sort of taken over director of the Avengers. Um, Nat and Rocket and Captain Marvel have been sort of off in space. You know, as Captain Marvel says in the movie, you know, what happened on Earth happened everywhere in the universe, except the rest of the universe. Not all planets have the Avengers to help out. So she's been off helping those other planets. Plus, the epicenter, ground zero of the snap was on Earth. So, you know, there are people on other planets that have no idea what even happened. So Captain Marvel seems like has been going around to these planets, helping out with that sort of thing. And then Rocket and them have been doing the same thing. And uh, Rocket Nebula, that is. And then Rhodey has been investigating these murders that have been happening all around the world where somebody has just been slaughtering gangs and criminals and all this. And uh, he's like, Nat, it's Barton. It's Barton. That's what Clint Barton's been up to. And it's like, so jump back to the very beginning of the movie for a minute. And this will get into my next point of just how well they did show each of our characters by the time you get to Endgame is completely changed from what we're used to. I mean, they're still our core characters, but they're different. Same, same, but different. And, uh, the major one of those in the first one, the movie opens up just cold open on Clint Barton. He's at home on house arrest. He's teaching his daughter how to shoot a bow and arrow. And, uh, his wife his two kids. His other two kids are over like preparing a picnic table Barton's teaching his kid how to uh, shoot a bow and arrow. And uh, she walks away to go get something, or he does. And uh, they're talking, and then she turns around, and she's gone. And he starts asking her, and it's like, hey, where'd you go, daughter? Where'd you go? And she's just gone. And, you know, if, you know, as fans of this, you know what it looks like when somebody gets snapped and they dust it away. Well, you see the dust, but, you know, as a character, Clint, may not necessarily know that that's what's going on. He does pass by some dust, though, so you instantly know. You're like, oh, family got snapped. And then he goes back around to try to find his wife and two sons to maybe ask them, like, hey, have you seen our daughter? And then you just see dust there, and it's completely silent. He's running around in a panic on his farm, can't figure it out. So then skip ahead. This is a broken man. He's lost his entire family in this snap. So he has basically been running around the earth as Ronan, this character Ronan for the past several years, just killing gang members with his uh, mentality being, you know, my innocent family got snapped, but somehow you got left and you do nothing but bring pain, pain and onto people and kill people and, bring pain to the world. So he's been going around punishing all these gang members and things like that just for that reason. And so Nat ends up catching up to him later on and bringing him back into the fold. But like I was saying earlier, bouncing off that is every one of our characters in this movie is changed from the events of infinity war. Some for the better, some most of them for the worse. And one of them is Nat who, uh, you know, we've seen her as nothing but a stone-cold mercenary killer lady since Iron Man 2. She's been a badass. And not just, not saying being sad and grieving and all that doesn't make you a badass. Not saying that at all. But we've never really seen her be vulnerable in the way that we've seen her in this movie. And 
you know, once she had taken up the mantle of S.H.I.E.L.D., there's a moment where once uh, all the mess, she's in a message communication hologram thing with a couple of the other characters, and once they go away, she just sort of breaks down and just starts crying, and then Steve walks in, and she instantly is just, yes, Steve, your friend's fine. You know, instantly straightens up. She doesn't want to let people see that she's vulnerable like this. And just seeing, and that includes the audience. So just seeing them portray her is, you know, trying to, trying and struggling to keep it together. It was a really neat touch. And you see that with each one of the characters. Like I said, they're all changed in their own way. You know, you look at Cap. He is far from the Cap that's going to get onto you for language from Age of Ultron. Like, he's just not that cap anymore. Not saying caps running around like, let's fucking get him. Not like that at all. But he very much is a different cap. He doesn't care about language. He's got bigger priorities. He's got, a, he's got an edge to him in this. He's got a rage, not a rage necessarily, but an edge to him for sure, where he's just, he's seen some shit. He's passed it. Whatever it takes is what he says. Whatever it takes, we got to fix this. Still not growing on me. Yeah. Not bad beers, but uh, not necessarily what I wanted. But then, uh, getting back on topic here, it's like everyone's changed. We finally, uh, we get to go see Thor. Um, we get to see Thor. Well, let me talk about Hulk before that, because we get to see Thor via Hulk. Is uh, We go see Hulk, who, if you remember from Infinity War, Banner and the Hulk were having some disagreements. We go see him here. They've merged. They have found a way... Uh, Banner and Hulk have found a way to collaborate, if you will, and now we get this weird, it's the Hulk, but he talks like Mark Ruffalo and wears glasses and clothes, and I'm not entirely sure how I felt about it. It was very strange. It, it offers some great comic relief, but it was still just weird. Like I kind of, I like, I'm not griping about it, but I do like the Hulk. I really liked the Hulk from Ragnarok. Where he can talk, but he's still just kind of like a big child. Where in this, it's uh, he's got Banner smarts and talks like Banner, but he looks like Hulk. And so you basically get bro Hulk. And uh, Valkyrie, when she first sees him, she says, uh, I think I preferred you either of the other two ways. And I kind of felt the same. Is like, they're both good. But uh, I think I'd prefer them separate. You know, we, we've all had friends and relationships like that a little bit, I feel. It's like everybody out there's had a friend who's been in a relationship where it's like, I like you, and I like you, but you all should not be dating, and I don't want to see either of you around me when you're together. Just separate. So anyway, they're going to see Thor, trying to get Thor back in the game, you know, because they figured out a way to time travel, which I'll get to that in a minute. And uh, so they go to New Asgard, which has been found somewhere in Norway. I think Strasbourg, Norway, maybe even somewhere in Norway. It's this little fishing village. They've dubbed it New Asgard. And they go there, and Valkyrie tells, uh, tells Hulk and Rocket's like, well, he's not going to see you, talking about Thor. So they go up to Thor's hut, and this was... Kudos to them for doing this and sticking with it. As you go into Thor's hut and you go in, they're complaining about the smell at first and all this. And then you see Thor. You see him go grab a beer. You just see his arm. You see him grab a beer. He cracks it open on Stormbreaker. And then it pans out. And Thor, Thor be thick. 
Thor's thick, people. Like, they... I cannot believe they did this with the one character that got countless. Every single movie of his that he has been in is he's had a hot, sexy, shirtless scene. And they took the one character that consistently had that and made him schlubby and fat. And he, the majority of the movie, he didn't even wear his Thor outfit. He, he's seriously dressed like the big Lebowski who Tony Stark even calls him at one point in the movie to make, like, mock him and make fun of him a little bit. So you've got... Lebowski Thor running around and kudos to them for the way they portray this is you know we've dealt with characters having PTSD and stuff like in Iron Man 3 with Tony Stark but how they portrayed Thor is it's not I mean I guess you could call it PTSD but it's more of a, a depression as somebody I've been depressed before I've, I've dealt with that there's quite a number of people that have and Thor's, Thor was justifiably upset. You know, he had, within the span of a couple weeks, he had not only realized that his brother was alive and had been impersonating his dad, and then his dad died, his evil sister comes back, and then he has to kill her. He lost his mom right before that, and then legit uh, lost his home, Asgard, and then legit lost his brother, as far as we know, and then lost half of all those Asgardians. And then when it comes to save the day, he couldn't even kill Thanos by going for the head because he wanted to throw it and gloat over Thanos and give him a I told you so. And this has gotten to Thor. Thor is upset. And then, you know, and then at the beginning of this movie, we see him finally catch up to him. He still can't do anything. He chops his head off, just kind of like, oh, I went for the head this time. Thor's messed up, he's depressed. He's a failure. He has failed a lot of people up to this point, he feels. And he's justifiably upset about it. He's down on himself. He's depressed. He's unenthralled with things. He's unenthusiastic. But most of all, he's depressed. And he's scared, quite frankly. And for those that have dealt with depression, like the way they portrayed this, I thought was so realistic. Of you know, A lot of people would think that depression is sadness and it's not sadness depression is what you saw in thor is he's unmotivated he he's drinking he's trying to self-medicate and solve his own issues that way just trying to forget about them forget he even has a problem you know they the old cliche it's like the first thing to fixing a problem is admitting you have one and uh you know you're covering it up you're trying not to deal with your problems he's sit up playing uh video games with korg and meek which was hilarious but I just thought it was really great. I, and it's not something I thought about. It was, it's played for laughs mostly, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's one of those things where I find it funny because it's true. That's how depression looks. And they did such a good job of portraying that in Thor. And kudos to them for sticking with it. The entire movie, Thor is kind of on this very personal journey of where he's feeling like shit. He's depressed. He doesn't think there's anything he can really do to help. And... Finally, he uh, he gets a moment where he feels like he is deemed worthy once again. And I'm glad they stuck with that. At one, I was thinking through the whole movie, at some point, he's going to blast a lightning bolt down, and we're going to get hot Thor again. Never happened. They stuck with fat Thor, like, beginning to end. Beginning to end, they stuck with fat Thor. And uh, 
even towards the end when he finally does blast a lightning bolt down to change his outfit from schlubby uh, Lebowski Thor because he's literally wearing sweatpants and a bathrobe and sunglasses. Like he looks like the big Lebowski. And finally, when he casts his lightning bolt down to change his outfit, I was like, this is it. They're going to make him skinny Thor again. Nope. Kept him as fat Thor. And he's got his same Thor outfit on, but he's just thick. He's just thick Thor. And I love that. He actually looks like a Norse god, which, you know, I'm sure the ladies and men, you know, they don't get uh, those sexy. Well, you still get like shirtless Thor scenes, but minus the sexy. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty great that they just left that in there the whole time. Uh, Tony Stark, when we catch up with him. He, uh, well, I'll tell you about Ant-Man to get to Tony Stark as we catch up with Ant-Man, who has just been blasted out by a mouse, actually. A mouse saves the day here, essentially. A mouse accidentally runs over some buttons in the quantum tunnel and blasts Ant-Man out of the quantum realm. Because last we saw him and Ant-Man and the Wasp, he had gotten stuck in the quantum realm. Well, evidently, he had been in there for 25 days. It had been about five hours for him. So with that knowledge, he goes to Avengers HQ, tells them, it's like, hey, what if we could do this and this and maybe go through one of these time portals and, you know, basically go back in time to kill baby Hitler situation. They decide that's not going to work, but if they can go back and get the stones, as Paul Rudd, as Ant-Man so eloquently put it, a time heist. And I love that they just totally played into that, you know, because it's a ridiculous term, but they totally... Ant-Man's character really allows for things like that. It's pretty great. But they decide that they need smarter people, so they go find Tony, who evidently has resigned himself the past five years, has not really been Iron Manning. He's still been building Iron Man suits, clearly, because he's built one for Pepper. But him and Pepper have moved to a farm, exactly like he said they were that he wanted to do for Pepper in Age of Ultron. He's like, maybe I'll buy a farm like this for Pepper one day. They've moved to a farm. They've got a little, you know, four or five-year-old girl, Morgan Stark. They come to see Tony and tell him this plan. It's like, we've got a chance, Tony. And he's basically like, nope, I'm out. Same sort of situation as Thor, except I don't think Tony's depressed. Uh, Tony's situation is more of, look, we tried. We lost. We've got to move forward. And I have. I've got a child. I'm not Iron Manning. I've got a family. I'm trying to settle down and do good by Pepper. Like, that's his whole thing. But he just can't help himself, as Tony Stark does. He starts meddling around with equations and things, and based on some stuff that Ant-Man had told him, figures out, shit, time travel is possible. So we see him pull up to Avengers, Avengers HQ. He uh, gets out, tells him he's figured it out. We had a neat little thing before that where Hulk had tried to figure it out, and accidentally turned Paul Rudd into a baby. It was it was a pretty co- little comic-y relief moment. Let me see here if I'm missing anything. Yeah, I think uh, I got all that leading up to the beginning there. Congratulations, Tanner. Where's my golden star? So anyway, at this point, we've caught up. The plan is laid on the table. They're basically, their plan is to commit a time heist. They figured out that at one point during the Battle of New York that there were three stones in New York pretty rad and then they figure out that there's two other stones or there's one stone on morag in 2014 
Guardians of the Galaxy era. And then there's a stone on Vormir, obviously. And then there's a stone on Asgard. Um, the, the reality stone. So basically, this movie plays out, you know, it, it was such a fucking rewarding experience. Like I said, I've been to every one of these movies in theaters. And to have been here for the past 11 years, 22, 23 films, however many we're up to now. And to get this, and it was tied together so cohesively. And it, like I said, it was dense, but it plays out like a greatest hits of the MCU, like an Avengers greatest hits album. So they're committing the time heist, and we get to go back to Thor 2. We get to go back to Avengers, uh, the Battle of New York and Avengers. We get to go back to the Gardens of the Galaxy opening on Morag, where Peter Quill dances in the in the temple, the Power Stone temple thing. I don't, man, it was it was amazing. It was uh, the Battle in New York stuff was amazing, just because you get to see a different angle. I mean, that was the first time we had seen all of these Avengers compiled. That leads up, you know, that's the first time we had been teased with Thanos. So it's been on our minds for the past. What is it? What was that? Twenty twelve. So the past seven years, we've been thinking about this moment, and that's the moment that set it up. Just like Iron Man set up the entire MCU, and so we get to go back back to the Battle of New York, and we get to see all these different things that happened during and after the Battle of New York that we didn't get to see before, such as uh, you know, and they bring everybody back for this movie. So after the Battle of New York stuff, basically picks up right when Loki is like. Yeah, so if it's uh, all the same to you, I'll be having that drink now, right after he gets Hulk smashed in Stark Tower. Picks up right there, and we see that uh, they got um, Robert Redford, who I thought was retired. They got him to come back to play uh, Senator Pierce or whatever his name was, the general or the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. from Winter Soldier. They got him to come back. They got Rumlow to come back. They got Sitwell to come back. Uh, I was disappointed, which it wouldn't have played out during this anyway, but I was kind of disappointed we didn't get a Coulson cameo at some point because I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it was kind of disappointing to not see my boy Coulson in there somewhere. But he was dead by that point in the Avengers anyway. But uh, So it picks up right there, and uh, at this point, none of our characters in this timeline during the Battle of New York knew that S.H.I.E.L.D. was Hydra. But our characters from our timeline do know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra at this point. So we get this neat scene that plays out where Captain America is trying to get the scepter from Sitwell and Rumlow. And you see him get on an elevator. And it's played out exactly like that dope elevator scene from the Winter Soldier. It's fucking amazing. And the whole you recognize what's happening. Like I caught myself. I was like, oh, we're going to get to see this elevator fight scene again. This is going to be cool. But they don't fight. Cap just plays it smart. And again, this is back to uh, our Captain America having more of an edge this movie. Is He he tells him something. He's like, yeah, the, the scepter is going to be put in my care. They were worried that there was going to be an attempted theft. And they're like, we don't know Captain America because everybody in this, we all know as an audience, and our Captain America knows that everyone in this elevator is Hydra. And they're taking it straight to Dr. List and... Uh, Baron, Baron Baron Von Strucker, or whatever his name is, in Age of Ultron. So you see him get in there, and he just leans over to Sitwell, just, Hail Hydra. You're like, 
man. And it's kind of a throwback. If you're a comic fan, at one point, Captain America was a Hydra agent. So, or a Hydra undercover agent or whatever. So it's kind of a little bit of a throwback to that. That was pretty neat. And so while this is going on, you've got, you've got Cap heading for the Scepter in the Battle of New York. You've got um, Ant-Man and Tony heading for the Tesseract. And they pretty much get it. The little maneuver they pull to get it is Ant-Man basically sneaks into uh, Pat 2012 Tony's reactor in his chest and kills the power from it to send him into a mild cardiac arrhythmia situation. And he drops the briefcase and 2019 Tony, or I guess it'd be 2023 Tony, grabs it and runs out. But not before the Hulk smashes through the door and accidentally hits our 2023 Tony. I'm going to call him Prime Tony. Tony, That's what I'm going to call him. It's a better name than 2023. I don't like numbers. And so hits Prime Tony with the door and knocks him out for a minute. That sends the Tesseract scooting across the floor where 2012 Loki grabs it and portals away. So they, they just failed at that. So not able to get the Tesseract here. And then all while this is going on, we see Hulk going to visit or bro Hulk go to visit the ancient one over at a uh, bleaker street over at the sanctum santorum there on bleaker street well dr strange isn't the wizard yet it's the ancient one and which that also is pretty neat because that definitely clears up that timeline you know a lot of people were wondering actually when dr strange took place this solves it takes place uh in 2016 ish 2017 ish era so solves that and then it's, it was also neat because we didn't know Doctor Strange was in New York during the Battle of New York. But here we got to see that the Ancient One actually was doing spells and shit up on the roof to help fight the Chitari. It was nothing we ever knew about that before. But like I said, it was neat to get all these little, these little vignettes of scenes that were happening during the Battle of New York that we didn't know was actually happening. So he talks to the Ancient One, basically tells her what's going on. It takes, her, it takes some convincing She's not going to give him the stone at first. She's got the time stone, and eventually Hulk convinces her for the time stone, so they got that. Well, they still got to figure out this space stone scenario because they don't have enough pin particles to, like, they need pin particles for the time travel. They don't have enough, and then they need to get this space stone. So Tony decides, well, let's go back to the 70s. The Tesseract is on a shield base or an army base and shield base, and it's also there with pen particles. So then we go back to the 70s, get this really, really neat sequence with, it's the base from that got blown up in Captain America the Winter Soldier where Arnim Zola was. And you see him sneak in there, and like I said, they got everybody to come back for this movie. Everybody. And Tony gets the Tesseract, Captain America gets the pen particles, so he, we get to see a young Michael Douglas and he's acting crazy. We could see there's tons of little Easter eggs in there. Like we got to see an OG Ant-Man hat, like the big silver dome sort of thing. We got to see that. Um, and Cap runs into Peggy. Well, he doesn't run into her. He just sees her through a window and is like, damn, you know, I could just stay here and forget about all this. But he's got a mission. That's what Cap does. So he leaves. Well, Howard Stark, Tony Stark's dad, comes across tony stark and it freaks tony stark out for a minute he you know and we all know tony stark's always had a real hard time dealing with he's definitely got daddy issues and he's always had a hard time dealing with his parents death 
So this is a really neat situation that they could have played for total cheese ball and just had Tony Stark be like, oh, I love you or whatever. Could have been total cheese ball, but how they played it out was just so casual and so in character for both of these guys that we've come to know pretty well, even Howard Stark. Like, he's not had his own movie, but he was heavily featured in the Agent Carter show. And who who is that actor? John, uh, I can't remember. I knew I thought I wrote it down. Maybe I didn't. I thought I wrote it down what his name was. Damn. John Slattery. That's what it is. John Slattery. So we get to see John Slattery as uh, him, him return as Tony or Howard Stark, which I honestly didn't think we would see that again after we were shown his murder in Civil War. <clears throat> so that was really neat. And uh, so he starts talking to his dad. His dad looks younger and probably is at this time than Tony Stark actually is. Because at this point, our Tony Stark is 50 or so, I guess. And uh, I think he's pretty much real-time age as Robert Downey, maybe a couple years younger. But he looks way older than Howard Stark at this point. And Howard Stark, he's carrying some flowers, and he's talking about how he's nervous because he just found out his wife's pregnant. And uh, the baby's due soon, but he's not been around. He's been working too much. And so he's clearly bought these flowers for, for Tony Stark's mom. So he can be like, hey, I'm sorry, I've been working too much, so on and so forth. Which leads into how Tony sort of viewed him growing up as he just wasn't really around. They just keep talking and talking, and Tony lays some wisdom that his dad told him. There's there's this just neat moment of where Tony just sort of blurts out on the elevator. It's like, I've got a daughter. And it was neat because, you know, Tony never had this moment with his dad but he just wanted so bad to tell his dad that he's got a daughter. And even though his dad doesn't know that this is Tony Stark, his son from the future, it was still to see Tony Prime just get this out because he needed this catharsis. And then before they part ways, he gives him a, a big hug and is like, I just wanted to thank you uh, uh, for all the, everything you've did for our country. It's it great. And it's just Tony needed that. He needed that. I think we needed that as audience members. It was pretty great. Uh, that whole sequence could have been played up for total cheese factor, but it uh, it was great, and it still just made me want more 70s-era Avengers movies. And then we get to see Jarvis, um, the original Jarvis, the original butler, which you may have seen him in the Agent Carter TV show, but it's that same actor, James Darcy, which I believe would make the very first TV-to-movie crossover for marvel which i thought that was pretty pretty fucking cool so let's see here moving on here oh i didn't talk about thor so all while this is going on thor has gone back to thor the dark world era back to asgard the day that the dark elves attack he's running around and thor's just shaking up he's just looking to get some booze rockets there to extract the ether out of jane and just rattled just rattled and so while rocket goes and does that thor runs into frigga his mother who died and actually dies this day in the thor of the dark world and thor tries to play it up and he's just looking raggedy and his mom straight up knows he's from the future and he just breaks into tears and is like i'm from the future mom i need to talk to you and she just like a mom would is like it's okay son i know you're not the son that I know, 
but you're still my son. And so she talks to him and gives him this real big speech about how it's like, you've always been try, trying to be what you were supposed to be, but have you ever tried being what you want to be? And like everyone fails and gives him this great speech that builds him back up. And then right before, the, you know, he's built back up and right before they leave, he extends his hand and then you hear the whoosh come in. I wish I had synced that up on my soundboard over here, but you hear the whoosh come in and Mjolnir, which was destroyed in Thor Ragnarok by Hela, Mjolnir comes flying back into his hand. And for him, it's a really big deal because he's thinking like, oh, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. I'm still worthy. And I thought it was neat is uh, he takes this Mjolnir back to the present day. After they get the ether, they time travel back to our prime timeline and he's still got Mjolnir. So now he's got Mjolnir and Stormbreaker, which is awesome. And he's got new reinvigoration in him because he realizes he is now deemed worthy, which brings up a side question to me is uh, I guess Stormbreaker doesn't have that enchantment on it where I guess anybody can, for the most part, can uh, hold Stormbreaker. I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, and yeah, and while that's going on, you've got... Rhodey and Nebula, who have gone to Morag, the planet from the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, they've gone there to get the Power Stone. We get to see this neat view of Peter Quill's dancing during the opening credits of that movie. We get to see that sort of from the outside of these people looking at him, and you you can't hear the music that he's listening to in his headphones, so he just looks like an idiot. And even Rhodey is like, oh, so he's an idiot. And Nebula's like, yeah. (laughs) And so while that is going on, You have, um, while all that's going on, you've got Nat and Clint Barton, Hawkeye, have gone to Vormir. And I guess nobody, I was like, why would you send these two to Vormir? But then in hindsight, I guess why wouldn't you is none of the other characters would really know how Vormir works. So, but then it does thematically... And writing and story-wise, it does make sense to send these two characters. It's been built up since the Avengers, how close these two are together. And so they they fight back and forth trying to debate which of one of them is going to sacrifice themselves in order to get the Soul Stone. Nat's whole thing is, no, I've, I would be nothing without you. You know, you rescued me. And this is to save everything that means everything to me. And you've got a family, bro. So she ends up sacrificing herself. They they literally have a fight to try to like keep the other one from jumping off the cliff. Literally a fight to do that. And Clint ends up getting the Power Stone. They all come back to Avengers HQ in our prime modern timeline. And, uh, and that's when OG Thanos, OG Thanos comes into the mix a little bit. And because uh, like I said, our our prime timeline Thanos got killed right at the beginning of the movie. First 15 minutes, head chopped off, done. What you don't know, though, spoilers, people, they get to kill Thanos twice in this, this movie. That's how fucking awesome this is. But what's great is the Thanos we get is so much more, like, vicious and just, I mean, he is... Thanos the Conqueror, Thanos the Mad Titan, the one we get here, which is 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy era Thanos, where he has no Infinity Stones, and he in fact just lost two. He had, via Loki during the Battle of New York, 
two years prior to this Thanos, he had the space in the Mind Stone, and he lost those things to Loki. So he's pretty pissed. And how they ended up bringing Thanos back into the fold in this, I think is such clever writing because I had sort of pieced together like the rough points of the story just from, which I think any intelligent person can do. And I've, you know, I did some storytelling stuff in college. So I get how stories are put together. It's, you know, it's, there's a craft to it. And it's like, Oh, well, hammers go right there on the corner. And then you put the joists in, you know, so on and so forth, like building a table. If you know how to build a table, you can look at a table and figure out some things about it. So I'd sort of piece together the basic story beats just from the trailers and whatnot. So I knew that there was going to be a, some version of, I'd guess that they, we're going to kill Thanos at the very beginning because that's a nice mirror to what they did to Loki and in infinity war. And it would totally throw us on our heads, which it did, but how they brought 2014 Thanos and how they brought Thanos back in as a villain a second time was so genius. I assumed that they were just going to have 2014 Thanos or another version of Thanos time travel up to the present. I mean, that's basically what happened, but not really, is how they had him find out what was happening was Nebula, you know, she's part robot or something. Once they were in 2014 and there were two Nebulas existing within close proximity, their memories started getting like wirelessly swapped back and forth. And she started having like little aneurysms and her memories started going back and forth between her old self and her new self. And Thanos, when Nebula can portray memories like holographically out of her eye, and so that kicked on, and she was seeing future Avengers talking about the Infinity Stones and then going around trying to plan out this time heist to gather the Infinity Stones. And because she was playing that, 2014 Thanos saw this, and then he saw his own death. So 2014 Thanos puts together... That he was like, okay, I don't have the stones yet, but I'm on my quest for them. And this clearly proves that I succeed in my quest, but these motherfuckers, these Avengers, these Avengers, they're trying to go back and stop me from doing this. And if they succeed, I will never succeed. And Thanos' whole thing is he's not doing this just to be evil. He does it because he deems that, uh, the universe is too crowded. He needs to weed half of all life out of it so there'll be enough resources for the remaining half to thrive. So he captures our Nebula, Nebula Prime, captures her, and then sends in 2014 Nebula to mimic Nebula Prime. And then she once they all get back after the time heist, once they all get back, they're in the Avengers HQ. Neb- Nebula 2016 or 2014 is slinking around and she opens the portal. Well, because they've got Nebula Prime, they were able to get her pin particles. And, I, and Thanos is smart as hell. Like, that's why he's not only like an expert tactician, all this, he's smart. And so him and his goons figure out how to replicate the pin particles and have Nebula Prime or Nebula. 2014 
warp him into the future straight through Avengers base. His whole goddamn ship. The whole ship. They just warp in. Turn this off. It's going to die. So they warp in Thanos' entire ship from 2014. And first of all, it's a massive ship. And he just wastes Avengers. Like, the, the whole Avengers HQ. I quite frankly, outside of plot armor, I don't know how anybody would have survived that explosion because he, he levels the place. I mean, it is Michael Bay level explosions. And so then... Thanos comes, he beams down from a ship, and he reveals, like, his whole plan is, okay, well, uh, if these fuckers are trying to stop me by with their time heist, I've come to your timeline now, fuckers, and I'm just going to get all the stones that you've already collected for me, and, uh, and before, it wasn't really personal. I don't take it personally. This is what Thanos said, but then he said, he's like, but this... I'm taking this personally now because you fuckers, you're getting all up in my shit. I'm taking it personally now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with this. So when I get that gauntlet, I'm not snapping just half full life. I'm going to snap everything and rebuild it from the ground up the way I see fit. Because if people can remember what was, they'll never be able to appreciate what is. That's what he says. So now Thanos is way more enraged, and he's not just going to snap all life. He's going to snap, or half of life. He's going to snap it all. He's going to get rid of it all. So, really high stakes for this one. And uh, and not to mention, is this Thanos. This Thanos is brutal. Brutal. And I thought that was a neat differentiation they made, is that you, you basically have a young and old Thanos, even though this guy, there's only a, I don't know, 2014 to 20... 23 so roughly a 10 year difference between the Thanos as we met um or not even that seven years six seven years but the Thanos that they destroyed at the end of the movie his arms messed up he's limping he's got on a ratty old t-shirt that he looks like he got from you know a ditch he's weathered he's haggard and even the you know, before he snapped, even the Thanos that we got in Infinity War last year, this Thanos was on a much more spiritual quest. He wasn't bloodthirsty. He wasn't vengeful. He wasn't rageful. He, uh, he had been all that in the past up to the pursuit of the stones. But once he started acquiring the stones, they gave him a sort of clairvoyance and an, omnis- an omnipotence that it made him into a much more spiritual being, so to speak in the last movie where he wasn't just, he had his goal. He had his goal to get the stones and to make that snap happen. And he wasn't just trying to outright kill everybody, you know, even there at the end. Yeah. He punched captain America at the battle of Wakanda that he punched him pretty hard in the fucking face, but it wasn't, it wasn't a kill shot. And I don't think at any point outside of Tony, because Tony is the only character that I feel Thanos has truly actually ever been afraid of just because they're so smart or he's so smart, similar to Thanos. They're so smart. Um, and if it wasn't for Dr. Strange, he would have killed Tony, but I think he, in infinity war, Thanos truly wanted to not kill as many people as possible in his pursuit of the stones in order to leave the natural order there as natural as possible. So when he did snap, 
it truly snapped away half and it wasn't him making decisions on who stayed and who got snapped. So Thanos in the last movie, a little spiritual, a little calmer. He's got some sort of clairvoyance about him almost. Then you get to this movie and you get 2014 Thanos, the Thanos that is just now starting out on his infinity quest, the Thanos that has just decided like, you know what, I'm going to go gather up all these uh, infinity gravels, put them in a glove and I'm going to destroy some shit. That's what I'm going to do. Man, is he nasty. He's got this twirling helicopter blade thing that I can only think is to harken back to the comics when Thanos actually did have a helicopter. And he comes down, wrecks Avengers Tower, tells them his plan that he's going to get these, and he brings his entire army. Leviathans, the Chitari. Uh, there's so, these big beast things that kind of remind me of the big beast things from Halo. The uh, I can't even remember them now. The, the brutes from Halo is what they reminded me of. He's got those. He's got uh, you know, the Outriders, the guys with like six arms from the last movie. And he's got his Black Order back. And they've all fought him once. And they, when they set out to do this, they didn't even think that they were like, oh, yeah, we better do this without Thanos knowing. So they fought him once, and then he comes down after they've snapped. Like, which, first of all, they do build the Infinity Gauntlet. Thor, or, Thor wants to wear it because, you know, again, he's just wanting to do something right to bring everything back. And Bruce Banner steps up and is like, well, no, I, I'm kind of meant to do this. I can withstand the radiation of it. Uh, it puts off immense levels of gamma radiation. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one here that can handle this and survive. So, Bro Hulk puts on the gauntlet. It's like a Tony Stark tech gauntlet. He puts it on and snaps. And you don't know what happened. You don't know if it worked. It it knocks Hulk out. Knocks him straight out. But uh, then Clint's phone rings. And he sees that it's his wife, so it's worked. Which sidebar? I don't know how his phone's or is how his wife's phone still had battery, or unless the phone got snapped with her. I like was he still paying the bill? That opens up a whole lot of other questions. But it worked. They snapped. They brought everybody back. So skip ahead to where I said Thanos shows up. This is about the time he pops in, blows everybody to hell. And uh, and so then comes the last act of the movie, where kind of everything goes nuts is this this immense immense battle and i honestly i don't know how they did it i don't know how they filmed this battle but everyone gets a little moment to shine every single person in this battle gets a moment that's like okay they got to fight they got to fight they got to everybody gets to fight and everybody gets to fight everybody it's pretty great but you see the initial avengers go against thanos toe-to-toe and he beats the shit out of them like beats the shit out of them and He's about to, like, drive Stormbreaker into Thor's chest. Phones, damn. So he's about to drive Stormbreaker into Thor's chest. And uh, you think it might be. You think it might be just done. You think it might be done. But uh, then it cuts over to Mjolnir laying in the dirt. All of a sudden you see it lift. And at first I thought I was like, okay, well, all Thor's doing is he's got his other hand. He's stopping Stormbreaker with this hand, and he's just summing it. And you see it come through and hit Thanos in the side of the face. And then you see it whip back. And whose hand does it go to? Captain America's. 
good old Captain America can summon Mjolnir, and you see Thor immediately because Thor's the best, or Thor's the best bro. Thor, Thor is the best bro Avenger there is, and you see him immediately just like I knew it, I knew it, and this was probably the what got the biggest cheer out of the audiences in uh, the screenings I went to was just that. I mean, they've been teasing it since Age of Ultron when they had the little party there at the beginning of the movie and they're all trying to lift the hammer and yeah, it was pretty great. It was pretty great. And so, uh, at this point, Captain America just lets loose on Thanos. He's got a shield. He's got the hammer. He's like sending the hammer and the shield back and forth and, uh, and using the hammer to hit the shield and summon lightning onto Thanos. It's great. But again, Thanos is powerful, man. He starts busting up Captain America's shield. Starts busting up exactly how we saw it busted up in the Age of Ultron flashback that Tony had. Or not flashback, but the dream sequence that Tony had where they're all on the space rock and Cap's shield is broken. Which makes me wonder if that was one of the 14 million realities that Doctor Strange saw was, you know, there was that one. But he still, you know, he's he beats the shit out of Cap. And you think, it's like, this is it. And you know Cap, like, he didn't, Chris Evans did not, th- this was it. Like, he didn't want to keep playing Cap after this. Like, he loves the character, but he wants to go on direct and do some other things. So you knew that this was the last movie with Cap. So I assumed Cap was going to die. Cap stands up, he picks up Mjolnir, picks up the shield, it's half broken, he tightens it. And Thanos gives his, like, speech about this being personal. And uh, so at this point, Thanos just starts beaming in different parts of his army. He beams in the big, the big obelisk things that release the uh, the eight armed rider guys that were at, in Wakanda. He releases his Black Order comes zipping in. The Chitari comes zipping in. The Leviathans come zipping in. These brutes come zipping in. His entire army comes, and Captain America just stands up right there tightens his shield, stares them all down, and you're like, this is it. Captain America's about to die right here. He's about to take this entire army on and die. And, like, they've lost. They have lost. And then about that time, you hear something. You hear a, you hear a little, like, Gaff, is that you? And you're like, who's that? Like, who's that? Captain Rogers. And then you hear on your left, and about this time you see all these Doctor Strange portals start to opening, and one opens over Cap's left shoulder, and uh, Falcon flies through. Bucky's shortly behind him, and it's clear that everyone has has come back. All the sorcerers are opening up portals. Everybody's pouring through. You've got the Wakandan armies pouring through. You've got Asgardians coming through. Valkyrie shows up. She's on a Pegasus. There's some other Pegasus. Spider-Man comes back. Doctor Strange comes through a portal. Spider-Man comes through a portal. All this. Everybody is back. And it is outrageous. And at this point, you get to see every single person fight and do something. You get to see uh, like Ant-Man and Wasp are there. Spider-Man gets to fly on the back of a Valkyrie. And from this point, it's basically a football game uh, to keep the gauntlet, the Stark gauntlet, away from Thanos. And they're trying to run it to the time machine that's over in the back of Ant-Man's van so they could toss it through time. and send it, Because they they said that they would take the stones back to where they got them. That's what Hulk told the Sorcerer Supreme 
uh, the ancient one, who's the sorcerer supreme of time. That's why he told her once they gather stones, like we put them back exactly where we got them from. It's like nothing happened, and we're not creating all these divergent timelines. So I need a drink after that one. So they're just getting wrecked, and Thanos starts to see that they might win, and he orders his ship to bring the rain. So the ship just starts, his ship just starts firing down on everybody. And then in a minute, it stops. Everybody's like, why did the shooting stop? And all of a sudden, it's shooting up at the sky, and you see this giant, just basically a meteor crash down through. It goes straight through the ship, zips around, comes back through the ship. And who is it? It's Captain Marvel, of course. And uh, so Captain Marvel blows his ship up and then comes down and starts fighting him. And you think for a second, like you're like, damn, Captain Marvel has got this. You like she's about to break his fingers or something. And she's got it. And then right right when you think she's got it, like Thanos actually gets the glove on. And she's just keeping him from closing his fist and snapping. But he's got the glove on. And about this time he pulls the power stone out of the glove and just punches her with it and sends her soaring. And then he puts it back on. And Stark runs up, and I'm not sure exactly what happened here. I think we can just blame the MacGuffin that is nanotech. But Stark runs up and is trying to pull the gauntlet off Thanos, and you think he's failed. He knocks Stark back, who tumbles away like a rag doll, and then you see that that Thanos has the gauntlet on. And he snaps, but all you hear is clanking metal. Just metal. Doesn't do anything. And then he looks at the back. All the gems are gone. All the infinity stones are gone off the back of his hand. And then it pans over to Stark. Well, and this is not before you get the badass line of where Thanos, right before he snapped, is like, you don't understand. I'm inevitable. And he snaps. And then it cuts to Iron Man. He's like, no, you don't understand. As like the nanotech is moving the stones up to his gauntlet on his Iron Man suit. And so he's got the gauntlet now. And he's like, you don't understand. I am Iron Man. And then he snaps. And you see, and all of Thanos' army just starts getting dusted away. And then Thanos just goes and sits down, being defeated. He knows he's defeated. Just sits down and takes it. They won. They won. Now, this is where the waterworks started. This, which, I'll admit, it got worse on my subsequent viewings, because there was so much when I saw this the first time. So much. But each subsequent viewing, I noticed a little bit more, and it got a little more intense. And uh, one of those was, uh, like I said, people, I told you I'd spoil it, spoil it for you. But Tony Stark dies. He sacrifices himself to use the gauntlet, and he dies. Like, he's, he, it was just too much for him. It's too much energy, too much radiation, whatever. And he kind of stumbles over and falls down next to some rubble. And one of the most heart-wrenching things for me is you get Spider-Man. You know, Peter Parker comes up to him, and it's almost a mirror scene of the scene we got in Infinity War. Peter Parker comes up to him and is just like, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, we won. We won. And Tony is just, half of his face is, like, burnt and kind of almost it. I, I don't know if it was disfigured or just dirty, but it looked kind of disfigured or, like, burnt. Um, like, this whole side of his body is just kind of messed up. And he's just catatonic. Like, he can't even, like, he looks alive, but barely. And he's just, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, we won. And then Pepper comes in. And the only thing that Tony can get out of his mouth to say is just like, oh, Pepper. Like, 
he's catatonic, like he is dying. And Pepper gives him this like just real peaceful, just uh, like we're gonna be okay. Like you can rest now. Like you can rest. It, it that was yeah. That this is a guy. He started the MCU guys, two thousand eight, and it was uh, we've been. He started it. Pretty pretty phenomenal. So then you jump from there. You go to Tony Stark's funeral. And uh, and uh, you go to Tony Stark's funeral. And everybody's there. Everybody that you've not even seen already is there. Everybody's there. Hank Pym's there. Hope's there. Ant-Man's there. Hulk's there. Captain Marvel's there. Nick Fury's there. You get that stupid kid from Iron Man 3 there. I don't. He looks nothing like he did in Iron Man 3. I don't know why they included him, but. I'll get some more of this Anderson Valley. I don't even know why I poured it into these. But, uh, yeah, everybody's at his funeral. And one of the most touching lines of the whole movie that had me tearing up since my first screening was just the mention of cheeseburgers, which sounds outrageous. But if you think back to Iron Man 1, the first thing Tony Stark asks for when he gets back in captivity is an American cheeseburger. You know, they're sitting at his funeral, or it's after the funeral, and Happy goes up to Morgan Stark, Tony's daughter, and is like, she's like four or five. It's like, hey, kiddo, like, how you doing? She's like, I'm hungry. It's like, oh, yeah, what, what do you want? She's like, I want cheeseburgers. And he's just like, yeah, your dad liked cheeseburgers, too. It's like, come on, I'm going to get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And I don't know, it was just a real, it was a real good scene. I mean, it was. It was just really good. I, I really enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah, you go from there, and then you get this scene after that of where Cap, he's got Mjolnir and the stones, and he's getting ready to go back on the reverse time heist of putting the stones back in time everywhere they went missing so all those tam- timelines don't get diverted. So... They tell him, it's like, yeah, for us, it'll be about five minutes or five seconds or whatever. But for Cap, he'll, he'll be gone, gone as long as he needs to be. So in a minute, they bring him back. He doesn't come back. They fiddle with some stuff. He doesn't come back. And then they look over. And there's somebody sitting on a bench over here. And at first, I didn't know what they were going to do. At first, I thought it might have been like like Peggy or maybe even like a skinny, like weenie cap before he got the serum or something. But no, it's old man cap. Uh, I don't know if it was prosthetics they used on Chris Evans or CGI or what, but uh, it was old man cap. They, uh, he'd evidently went and dropped off all these stones and then went and met Peggy and teamed back up with Peggy in a, uh, some timeline and lived out a life with Peggy and got married. And he explains to Sam Wilson, like, like, yeah, I decided to have one of those lives that Tony was telling me to get all the, all those years ago. And, you know, and he's old. He's, he's like 90, 100 years old in this, and like age-wise. And I don't know. He, he got his moment. He got his life he wanted with Peggy. And then he, he hands over the shield and uniform to Sam Wilson and is like, it's yours now. He passes the mantle down to uh, Sam Wilson. So I guess that will tie on in to the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. But uh, 
Yeah, he passes that down, and Sam notices a ring on his finger, and it's just like, hey, you want to tell me about that? And he's like, nope, I don't think I want to. And the closing shot of the movie is you see this old house. You can tell it's like the 40s or 50s because of the cars, and this old jazz standard is playing. And it just zooms in, and it's just a really intimate shot of Steve and Peggy slow dancing in their living room. Like, finally got that dance. Like, it's a good movie, guys. It was it was a really, really great movie. And uh, here we are on the other side of it. It's been a 10-year, like, 10, 11-year journey. We've had TV shows, movies. And the movies have been the bulk of the journey, but it's been a really fun journey. And it doesn't end here. It feels like it may. Like, this feels like it may. Watching it was like, this, I would be okay if this is like the last movie that ever came out. Like, Disney shuts its doors. Warner Brothers shuts its doors. Nobody makes any more movies ever. But, uh, yeah, just a couple quick things to wrap up here. Let's see. Uh, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? That. See, I, you know, and I don't work for Disney or anything. I'm just a fan and follow this stuff a little bit. I'm a fan of movies. I'm a fan of Disney. I'm a fan of Marvel stuff. So, but Disney Plus is launching this October. So, a lot of this stuff I feel is probably going to get paid off in the Disney Plus series, even if we're going to start dealing with alternate timeline sort of stuff, because we know that they have, Disney has mentioned they're going to do a Marvel What If show. So, kind of some things like uh, What If S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't beat. Hydra, things like that, a what if series. So that could spin off into that. They're going to be doing a Hawkeye show, the Loki show. That could be, you know, I was wondering what they were going to do with the Loki show once it was announced. But since tw- there's a version of 2012 Loki, even though our prime timeline Loki is dead, there's a version of 2012 Loki that's still spinning around out there in the cosmos somewhere with the Tesseract. Um, and then. See, they're doing a Winter Soldier and a Falcon show, so that's going to tie into some of that Captain America stuff, and I'm glad they're buddies now. And then there's going to be a Scarlet Witch and Vision show, which will be interesting because Vision was one of the characters that they did not bring back. He was legitimately killed. So clearly they are going to bring him back somehow, but I'll be curious to see how they do that without the Mind Stone, since that's kind of a linchpin to his creation. And then I'm curious, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes back on in a couple weeks. I'm curious to see what kind of repercussions this has on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. runs a pretty standard timeline. So is it still going to be taking place during the five-year snap? Or is it going to take place post-snap? Who knows? I'm curious about that. Or is it going to be a thing where the first episode we see a bunch of our characters coming back? I don't know. They didn't cover the snap in the last season, they referenced Thanos, but it ended before the snap actually happened. So I'm not curious, or I'm very curious of how they're going to handle the snapping. And then as Guardians of the Galaxy, it was teased at the very end that Thor, he handed over the kingship of New Asgard to Valkyrie. And now Thor is going to be blasting around in space with Star-Lord, Drax, Groot, and Rocket as the Asgardians of the Galaxy. And this sort of helps them... You know, they fired and then rehired James Gunn on Guardians of the Galaxy. And while that was going on, before they rehired him, they had shelved Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Well, now it's back on the slate, but because he, 
James Gunn had signed on to direct the Suicide Squad movie that's now thrown off their shooting schedule a little bit. So a perfect way to get around that is to do a Thor movie with Taika Waititi, Thor 4, and it's just Thor with, hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We all liked that pairing up in Infinity War. Clearly they took note of that, and uh, I'd say Thor will probably be skinny again by that time. He's found a new purpose. He's just running around space doing all that. Um, let's see, a couple questions I've got going out on here is... I'm, I'm going to assume it's more of an assumption than a question, but I'm assuming that Peter Parker's classmates like Ned were also snapped because otherwise it seemed to be that when people came back that were snapped, that they came back like it was like they were asleep. There was no time that had passed to them. They were just gone. They had since no time passage and they just woke up with everybody that wasn't snapped was not snapped were five years older and they they unsnapped into the exact same place they were before. So a couple questions with that is Peter Parker's going to have to have classmates that are now that were his same age that are now in college while he's still in high school. <coughs> that has to be a thing, right? And then also if you are snapped back at the moment you were unsnapped or if you're snapped back the moment you were snapped, wouldn't that cause a major problem for people like, say, a pilot was snapped? That entire plane went down. There's no plane for him to snap back into. So is he just going to snap back into where that plane was in midair and then be falling? Don't know. Opens up lots of questions. Plus, even though they have undone the snap, there are a ton of people in those five years of the post-snap world. There's still a lot of trauma there. I mean, think of all the... Uh, you know, like, like I said, pilots of planes that got snapped, that plane crashed. And even people that didn't get snapped died in that plane crash, car crashes, uh, boats that could still be adrift at sea, so on and so forth. There's plenty of other carnage, even without the snap that the snap caused. So I'm really curious to see how that plays into uh, the future of the MCU and see if we're going to get any of that. Um, how does the time travel work? From what I understand, it is similar to Dragon Ball Z time travel. If you've ever watched that, that means that, say I could time travel, and I went back in a timeline that caused me to never make Brew Chat. Here in my main timeline, I would still have Brew Chat going into my future. But in this other timeline, Brew Chat would never happen. And it would divert it off into another timeline, which is what the ancient one seemed to be making a point with, with telling uh, Bro Hulk that each time you remove an infinity stone out of time, it causes a branch in the timeline. So, you know, and we've already talked about multiverse theories and things like that with Doctor Strange and whatnot. So it's a multiverse, people. There's different timelines, so on and so forth. So that's how that works. Um... Let's see here. I had a couple gripes. Not very many. Not very many at all. Um, I was kind of disappointed there was no Hulk and Thanos round two. I kind of really wanted that. Like, really bad. Uh, I was kind of disappointed about that. But, again, we got so much good action in the movie and so many good showdowns that, that even that is kind of a minor one for me. Um, I feel kind of weird grabbing about this as a dude, but I felt like it was just sort of ham fisted is the big female team up moment. I get what you're going for. And I think it's, 
I think it's cool. I'm all on board with uh, female empowerment and all that. But, uh, yeah, I just thought he was a little ham-fisted. It was a little in your face about it. Like, if you want to do it, just do a female Avengers movie or something. You don't have to give us this big in-your-face moment of, like, we get it. Female superheroes. Um, Professor Hulk, I, I mentioned that before. I don't. I still don't know how I feel about him yet. It was a little weird for me. Like Valkyrie said, I think I preferred him either of the other two ways. Um, that kid from Iron Man three that was annoying as shit. If you're wondering who that random teenager is at Tony's funeral, it's that kid from Iron Man three, but he looks way different and seems to have not done anything since Jurassic World. Poor guy. I just find him. Uh, my empathy gets to me with him, but I'm also drastically annoyed by that child. And then my final kind of gripe is no, like Nick Fury and Captain Marvel are both standing on the porch and, you know, probably about six feet apart um, and on different planes, one sort of in front of the other at Tony's funeral. And I was honestly just kind of bummed out that Captain Marvel and Nick Fury, like they seem to make really good buddies during the Captain Marvel movie that there wasn't just a like, what's up? You know, just something like uh, just something something um but yeah that's about it um how long did i run here when did i run yeah i went about an hour i can do that but yeah i hope you enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed the movie we're probably not going to get another marvel movie after spider-man far from home for probably about a year and then i think we're getting into the black widow movie we've got black panther 2 uh four fours on the docket dr strange 2 all this um, and then they also recently closed the deal with Fox over the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Galactus, all that good stuff, and Deadpool. And uh, But again, you can probably look for a Deadpool movie before then. That'll be under the Disney banner. But I'm sick and tired of arguing with nerds over this. You're probably not getting X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for at least five or six years. I'm just telling you. Just telling you. It's not going to happen. But uh, I'm going to quit rambling here. Let's get off this. Let's do it. Go see the movie. And if you're still here after spoiler and still want, like, for some reason you're an idiot, first of all, but go see the movie. It's a good movie. Hope you all enjoyed the movie. Hope you all enjoyed my review. And we will see you guys next time. This has been episode 180 of the Brew Chat Podcast. (laughs) 